Hello again, and welcome to Killing the Great White Male. Welcome to episode, what is, what is this now? 27, the countdown continues for the end of season two. Uh, so here we are. Um, we're deep into this conversation at this point. Um, the place where we left off last time was around the topic of respectability as safety and how it just is an absolute underpinning for, for rape culture. And it is, of course, also one of those uh, just like beat the nail on the head, those good boy things that, that white kids, the white boys like me were always taught. Um, be the good boy, be the good boy. There was like some unspoken thing that, man, if we weren't the good boy, what the hell were we? We were no longer human. So, so yeah, respectability is safety. It's not just about rape culture. It, it has so many other uh, implications. So let's go ahead and dive right back in. You know, I'm going to I'm going to go back to a really interesting anecdote from, gosh, it was four years ago that Me Too dropped. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. There was an interesting moment that happened, like so many people, um, you know, and really what was interesting about that moment is right. Uh, uh, um, gosh, I am losing her last name. Tarana. Um, Burke? No. The Me Too had been around for multiple years by this yeah, point. Because it started but there in was what, a, 2011? Yep. Yep. And it picked up steam from a set of copy-paste memes, frankly, one night. It just happened to be the right night in the right moment. And that's that's the other thing is that so often we don't credit the the immense amount of yeah, it is Tarana Burke. Um Toronto Burke had started this Fact-checking ourselves on the fly. I love it. Yeah. Well, I, like, I, I, you know, I, she's, it's interesting because I have followed her for so long and I had been following me too from before then, yeah. before the moment it went viral that like, it's a person, she's a person, yeah. not a movement. Um, and an incredible person and a phenomenal scholar. But what was interesting is that what happened, what I watched happen that night and I was literally in another country. So it was the middle of my night while it was the daytime here. Oh, wow. Um, and something that I want to point out here is that what, what the, the argument that erupted around my reposting of it was a number of people I happened to, when I picked up and copy pasted, the version I picked up specifically called out the danger um, for black, indigenous, and femme-presenting women. Yep. Yeah, because let's be clear, we, we have not ad addressed yet the number of times that the author has been very clear that uh, trans women, tra uh, folks that are uh, 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 gender-confirming in, in, in different ways, um, it, yeah, all the right, risks. Anyway, it, right. she and, does such a good job in the book of covering so such this Right, and that holding cis identification is an axis of power, right? Yes. That does give yep. you, even if you have no other steps, that's one. Yep. Um, but there was a fascinating thing that broke out on my wall, which I, I found it was interesting to watch how people needed to segment themselves, which was I had a number of people take real umbrage with the fact that this was centered on femme-presenting bodies, how dare I leave out masculine presenting bodies? And first off, absolutely, right? 
we know these abuses happen. Yes. We know there is sexual violence upon men, upon mask presenting. Yep. Absolutely. But what was interesting, and I, and I had three people going in on this, and a whole host of other people like trying to say like, okay, I get it, but also why are why do you not consider yourself part of a group just because we happen to center them presenting? Why do you need to delineate Ooh. that it's a different pain, Ooh. not just sexual violence? Because fuck the Greeks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because Western civilization is about parsing out the human animal into all these little bitty fucking parts that can never be reassembled as a whole human. I mean, that's half the... Uh, when, when the, like when it, discovering the the moment when Cumbie River Collective when they coined the term identity politics and then seeing what's happened since then with it, because in in the beginning of any of these movements to to claim an identity and say this identity needs to be okay, it 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 necessitates solidarity around an identity, and that's because of the pressure. Uh, uh, under which identity deformation occurs in this country. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, but it always goes awry so quickly because of identity deformation. And that's why <laughs> identity politics is now uh, like, it's, it's literally, it's a tool of the right everywhere else in the world. We just don't even begin to understand that it's, that it's a problem here because we're so busy just trying to say variety matters, man. God. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, um, you know, going back even further and still like I do, I reference a lot of memes because to me, they are the same as Shakespeare's fool, right? They are the, the, the comedy that brings out the truth. And one of my favorites is the one that says homophobia is the fear by some men that they will be treated by other men the way they treat women. Yeah. (laughs) And there it is. (laughs) Yep. And and I and I I I notice this a lot when we get into these parsings of like, oh, well, there that that you know, it's it's and this comes up multiple times in the book, right? We have to center it as somebody, you know, she's somebody's wife or daughter, and it's like, or she's somebody. Maybe why, she's just a fucking know. human. Why? Why does yeah. she have to be your property for her to have value to you? Like that's why do we use the term value? But anyway, um, mm-hmm. yeah, nailed it. <laughs> Holy okay, there's so much here. Like just, <laughs> I, and and it's like reflecting your comment that it was hard to stay engaged. I think I found for me the hard part to stay engaged was that. Um, you know, that that reminder of how deep these things go, right? That yes. like it's turtles all the way down and yep. it's been here forever. Um, I, 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 lo- I, I believe it's uh, Sonia Renee Taylor who says that white supremacy is the high fructose corn syrup <laughs> of American culture. And I love that. Oh, oh, God. Like, it's the sneaky shit that's in everything that makes you think it's okay that is poisoning your kidneys. <laughs> Holy and- shit right that's gold so good it's so good and it's uh, it's a thing that i i I kept coming back to like i've got a what's what's interesting is where i have um where i noticed that i've scribbled notes around something Mm. um 
a, a good example of that is um, oh goodness, there's there's a point where she's talking about education, and I'm trying to bring it out, where oh. a point that I had never considered suddenly jumped out to me, um, which is it had never occurred to me because I grew up in these systems and I hadn't seen the others. Uh, so for dear dear followers at home. Um, I grew up uh, half in Baltimore, half in Modesto, California, um, went through a fair amount of public school. I think I think my units are from about eight or nine different universities towards my undergraduate degree um, and then wound up at one of these big bastions of Ivy learning for my graduate degree. And so I, I learned to code switch at a young age between all of that. And I learned to see how different all of these systems were mm. um, while using, while, while supposedly using the same metrics. Yep. I, but there was a point that even I had not hit until, oh, and I'm trying to find it. Um, but what the, the realization I had and the note that I had to scribble down was, oh shit, skipping grades is actually a, um, an indicator of an under-resourced education system. Oh. Those of us who come from areas where we test around and we're smart, like if you're, I, I can't tell you, right. I, I was skipped a grade. Um, a number of my friends would stay in the same grade, but let's say take math three or four levels ahead of them. Yep. We would take classes at the junior college to sub in for high school classes and where that is. And one of the things that I was putting together while, while reading wherever this passage is, which I can't find while trying to formulate a statement, was, here's the thing. If we read, um, it's the 10,000 hours yeah. book, yeah, right? Uh, one of the things that I love that he points out is the, um, the Malcolm Gladwell, right? Uh, I can't remember the name of that book off the top of my head, but okay. One of the things he points out is the system of redshirting within youth sports leagues, yep. which is holding back somebody a year to give them a physical advantage yep. because it's not necessarily, it starts as birth year, but then we put you on grade level year. Skipping somebody a grade to give them access to an educational challenge is the opposite of, of giving them help. Yep. Yeah. And it like, it had never really hit me until that moment. Like, and, and I can tell you, how many people in my life, myself included, have been through some version of this because they needed to challenge a brain that was, you know, like I, I am absolutely the brain or if I get bored, I start breaking things. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> you've been around. <laughs> Suddenly I am it's... no longer a good little boy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, who made ether in the chem lab? I, like, oh, you know. <laughs> shit. That was not me. Playing with shit. Um, <laughs> <sighs> and why and it wasn't that i set out to do that it was just, i was just playing with shit right like yeah, what happened? I'd, I'd already finished the thing and you just keep going but that there's you know we we code that for those of us who have a certain access point to education of a benefit right i was skipped a grade this yeah. obviously i was smart and rude. and there there comes a point no matter what grade it was no matter how good your system was where you are disadvantaged by that you yes. might not hit it until college you might yeah. hit it in grad school there is some point at which those years of social maturity really catch up on you and that's something that she calls in 
in her experience uh, that that Kendall's calls in, a, in her experience a lot. Yeah. Where she was called books and she had um here it oh, is. Okay, God. it's page 138. Yep. There's a myth of exceptionalism attached to people who succeed academically after a childhood in poverty. Oh, damn. We must yes. be unique and thus worth listening to, but at the price of leaving behind the past and people in it. You're supposed to look back on those years as though they were this hard scrabble time and you would never expose your child to the same things. Yep. If you even have a child because after all growing up there is scarring, the kind of thing that might mean you have to sacrifice everything to claw your way out. Yeah. Um, skipping down, class and classism matter here. This isn't something that springs up out of nowhere. We treat being poor being from the inner city, being from the country as reasons to be ashamed, even though no one controls the circumstances of their own birth. Yes. Um, and this is something that really like just struck in because as I, as I mentioned to you, as we were kind of running up to this, um, I suddenly found, I, I have been at odds with a number of people in my family, most of my life since I learned the term feminism and, <laughs> and, you know, at eight, understood feminists to be the kind of second, early third wave definition of equal. Yeah. I should have the same. I have two brothers. I am just as good as they are. Equal. That's what feminism is. And it's an argument. Isn't like, I have more people of a first in wave my thing. Maybe. But is it? <laughs> but I don't know. Right? This is what there's I mean. A, there's that the waves are dumb. First, right? The waves are super dumb. Right? Because you have to you have to contextualize it. The, the use of the waves is to contextualize it to the generation it's in. Yep. Right? And that's the use. Because like, I actually don't think that first wave was looking for equal, for equanimity. I think it was oh, looking not equanimity. for. It was yeah. looking for, <laughs> I can put on pants and you need to treat me like you treat men. Which but is the definition of equality. Some men. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that's... <laughs> right? Oh, come on. Then we have to acknowledge that's... that racism exists. Right. But, but like, that's, that's where, that's where it's, it's dicey. And in a way that doesn't challenge their position. Because yeah. there was a fundamental... Like, there, I would, I would say that while you had some who argue... Right? We have our first female candidate arguing that she should be president circa 1919, I believe. Um, it was somebody from the Senate down in Georgia. I thought there was one in the 1800s who actually oh, ran there before is. the... Yes! I don't remember the name. Oops. Yeah, I can't okay. find her. Anyways. But yes, who ran on a respectability platform, mind but, you. Okay. Um. <laughs> so I'm still tearing into that thing. Like, I'm on yeah. page 92 and 93. It is that reliance on respectability that allows mainstream feminism to ignore those who can't speak in the quote-unquote tone that centers on the comfort of whiteness. The tone policing of respectability ensures that fi the fight for equality becomes the responsibility of the oppressed. It alleviates the responsibility of the powerful and the privileged to listen and learn. It protects privilege by forcing marginalized people to calmly respond to injustice or risk their feelings being a barrier to resources. It renders even the expression of feminist issues an exercise in navigating privilege and having to earn your way to be able to critique, express anger or fear, or even ask for help. And it means that white-centered 
expectations of politeness, of muted emotions, are projected onto the righteous anger and sometimes grief of women of color. Respectability requires a form of restrained, emotionally neutral politeness that is completely at odds with any concept of normal human emotions. And especially when you talk about human emotions that are responding to injustice being done to your body. Um, but anyway, they, I mean, because it's so dehumanizing, she writes. Like, just like, mm-hmm. how are you, su- like, really? I'm supposed to, any, any. <laughs> the stress of respectability is unparalleled. You muffle yourself over and over until the screaming is in your veins and your blood pressure and lower life expectancy. It's just like time and time again, this, this whole, yeah, equality, it was, I, I, that whole argument I'm seeing now is problematic because it was built on the notion of respectability, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I think one of the most, because I've just watched it, um, I don't know if you're having this go on with you, I've watched it in several spheres this week, is that we're all antsy, um, and we can't yell at a virus, and we're <laughs> eager for it all to be over, we're <laughs> eager for there to actually be justice, even though we might be actually just starting to see what accountability looks like. Um, you mean that, that so there's boomer these... at the gym this morning who <laughs> was working out and his mask just had slipped all the way off of his nose. And I finally just said, dude, fix your mask. And then he proceeded to yell at me, which I didn't hear because I have earphones in for exactly shitbirds like that. But yes, I wanted to yell at you fucking boomer. <laughs> how is it we're well, a year into this thing and you still don't know how to wear a mask? But that's I've, it. Got, I've got ruptures happening in every circle of my life, yes. all over the place. Yes. Because we're, we're, we're living at that boiler fatigue. point. And the beauty of that, like, right, it's change fatigue and, you know, me being me, who's a transition junkie, I'm like, ah. good, this is where change happens. And everybody else around me is like, fuck you, change! The I catalysts are right. You're a um, mad scientist. Really, that's the issue. Yeah, yeah, I really am. Um, particularly when it comes to people and people politics. But, you know, I've I've watched this a number of times where... Um, and it's it's something that Kendall talks around and it's something that we have to talk about a lot in this moment is the centering of comfort um, and the belief that a right that the right to comfort is actually an identifiable hallmark of white supremacy delusion. Yeah. You have a right to safety. That's different than comfort. Right. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Say that again. We have a right to safety, which is different than a right to comfort. Uh, I'm going to repeat this again. (laughs) We have a right to safety, which is different than a right to comfort. I I can't. So (laughs) I asked her to repeat it in the moment in the conversation, but I still have to keep repeating this. This one needs to go like on a banner on my wall because I think it's so, so vital. It's the it's the antidote to the whataboutism. You know, it, it, we're not talking about your comfort as a fragile, well, especially white men these days, but white people in general, too. The, it, we're not talking about your comfort with, with this. We are talking about the right to safety for every person, that that's, that's what a Bill of Rights should be about. Unfortunately, our Bill of Rights it is more about protecting uh, well, it started out as protecting rich white landowners who were very concerned about their individual rights. But the inheritors of that legacy are corporations in this country today. 
They are the ones who benefit from every single amendment in that Constitution. They're the ones that have brought lawsuits. They're the ones who recently won Citizens United so that they can have the right to free speech through their dollars in campaign money. That is, as far as they concern, are concerned, a right. That is not what this country needs to be about. And, and it comes back to this, this notion right here, that we have the right to safety, not the right to comfort. Corporations do not have the right to be comfortable. They have the right to, to equal trade conditions. That's it. That's fucking it. Other than that, they are required, they are convicted by the law to provide safe working conditions, and they are failing miserably at that across the country. The COVID pandemic is just the latest case of how miserable our corporations have done with, with, with the right to safety that we as, as, as people in this country should be able to claim. So anyway... This one, yeah, there's a Royce rant there. Good luck with that. Have fun. Um, but in the meantime, I hope you're enjoying this conversation. And uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon.